1: plushcare.com slash weight loss
2: Hello and welcome to Table Manners. I'm Jessie Ware and it's a biggie.
1: Gosh darling, I'm absolutely I always sound so excited, <laughs> but I'm kind of the anticipation of having this person on. When you've been such a big fan of this person, it's just so exciting to meet someone and you can ask him all the questions. I feel
2: like the trousers that you've chosen to wear are I quite kind of flamboyant. Montague and Capulet, circa 1997.
1: I thought or they eight. might be Romeo a, and Juliet a bit Baz. strictly ballroom.
2: Where are they from? Good old Wallace?
1: No, Dorothy Perkins, about five years ago. Love
2: that. <laughs> but they're um, good, aren't
1: they? They're birds of paradise. We've got
2: Baz Luhrmann. Coming to Clapham, Avec Security, who I believe... Oh, hello, that looks like a big old fucking gal. It's been a bit of a tricky meal that you've left me to do, which is fine. Basically... Do you see how
1: relaxed I am? Yeah. What do you prefer? Helping me a bit, and then I look demure and relaxed. Okay,
2: anyway. Basically, we got dietary requirements from the team. Now we never know as we have experienced before with dietary requirements from team sometimes that can be unnecessary. However of course respectfully we always ask but we did get quite a list of things that he likes and doesn't like. Oh well, yeah. So the menu it, I is would limited. Say it,
1: well, dietary restrictions. Yeah. Rather so, than dietary requirements. So and look
2: I'll be really pissed off if he comes in, he goes, oh, I could have had a I could have roast up.
1: dinner, yeah. Um,
2: so I've made a green salad. The only bit of other colour is some cherry tomatoes. It's got edamame. I've done some tender stem and soy that actually didn't, like, burn up enough. So I kind of uh, blanched it in them. Anyway, looks a bit sad, but it'll be fine. Um, spinach, coriander, edamame beans and... Um, some baked salmon we're going to do with a little lime zest.
1: Is this a sweet greens salad?
2: Yeah, he likes sweet greens apparently. Now people from the UK may not know what sweet greens is. It's like a really fancy salad bar in America which is really delicious but you can kind of build your own and they're very delicious. Now I've risked it with a peanut um, lime sauce dressing. Jesse, if he's here. That's lemon coming up. is in Clapham, charming the pants off everybody. Mum's trying to rob his pearls. I
1: want to take his necklace.
3: Well, well, you know what? And I said, I'll give you my heart. I'll give you my soul. I'll give you my anything. But these beautiful pearls, and I'd love to say this because I've been dying to say it for a long time. When I did Australia, this wonderful family called the Pass Paley, the Pass Paley's. They have pearl farms in Northern Australia. And I said to them, look, I'm about to do this tour with Elvis. Would you make me a good luck charm? And Elvis is saying with TCB, which means taking care of business, which kind of means owning your. What it does, it doesn't mean it's not really business. What it really means is like owning, you know, getting on with life, you know, owning your life. So they made me these incredible pearls with a TCB on it. And I cannot tell you how many people say to me, like fans, not fans of Elvis or whatever, like, what is that? And they are these pearls you sell rough hewn they are Mm. they are they are magical they've really been my good luck talisman
1: you didn't need luck with elvis no well you did no it was a stunning amazing wonderful film i think it's one of the best films i've seen in the last 10 years at least and we're big fans of yours i think your other ones yeah just
2: i can't i mean i i went to see i went to see romeo and Juliet. I mean, yes, I did love Leonardo DiCaprio, like we all did. But no, I, I loved him. He's too. very
3: lovable. He was a, I saw him the other day. He's still lovable. Is he still lovable? He's a really... Look, I don't say this lightly. In the work I do, you can work with hugely well-known, iconic people. You can be close to them. You can be not close to them. You can lie in all of that. So I, I'm only saying that. Or you can be professional and go, like, I don't really connect, but we can do the work. But I met Leonardo when he was 19. He only cared about two things, acting and the environment. His dad, George and Ermelin, and the whole family, mm. right? They have been some of my closest friends. I just – he is such a good-souled person. and But, you know, he's had to deal with that trajectory mm. of being like – like I remember we were on Romeo and Juliet. We were shooting, and he says to me, as the studio want me to do this film, it's about a big boat that sinks, you know. And we read the script, and he went, "I don't know. There are ghosts in this film, you know." I'd be careful with what I say because it ends up being clickbait. But you know, no. like the thing is, we read it, and he goes, "I don't know." And the thing about the next film, which was Titanic, mm. is that it sort of turns him into the Beatles. And you know, when you're a young actor, and all you care about is acting, that other side of it. It's really, really difficult to deal with. Now, he could have cashed in on that and went, okay, I'm going to be superstar teen idol for the rest of my life. All he did was go, he just doubled down on, from now on, I'm only doing roles that challenge me. Mm. So that's professional. But as a person, I don't think he's actually ever changed. He's always been so passionate about the environment. You get within five minutes and he's telling you the Tasmanian devil might have been you know, reconstituted in Tasmania or... You know what, what? Why? How coral is being regrown in in Tahiti? Like he just cares about the environment, and he's just a very warm and loving guy.
1: Had you seen him in Gilbert? What's eating Gilbert Grape? Yes, is that how you thought he'd be? Basketball good? Diaries as well. Basketball. It was. It
3: was probably Gilbert Grape. And there's a really funny thing because, oh dear, if my wife is here, she she sometimes has this thing where she goes. Bing!
2: Name-dropping. Oh, no, we, uh, love, oh, we love that. that. No, 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 no. no. You are welcome so to I'm name So I'm doing Romeo and
3: Juliet, and I can now say this, but I haven't cast Father Lawrence, and I'm in... Is that
2: Pete Poth- Way?
3: Yeah, well, but before Pete, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Pete. Bless his oh, spirit, he's yeah. left the planet. What an actor, and what a gentleman. Um, but before that, I get a... I haven't cast it, and I get a FedEx... And I'm in Mexico, and in, on the action FedEx, it says from Marlon Brando to Baz Luhrmann. Now, if you're a Marlon Brando fan like I am, I mean, he was a god to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I can now tell this because yeah. in, in the six letters I get from Marlon Brando, he says, please don't share this with anyone. But he's passed now. He says, I'm the I'm working with my old friend, <laughs> William Shakespeare. He <laughs> you know, just things like, I'm, I'm kind of the, uh, trying to deal with the, uh, the human animus and the carbon cycle. Like, him, just incredible letter. But he wants to play Father Lawrence. You're and kidding. I'm not. I'm not. So
2: hang on. So what we happened? even make,
3: make a set ready for Marlon, and we're getting ready for Marlon. And then at some point I say, look, the young guy playing Romeo is in Gilbert Grape, and... And his assistant, she's a beautiful woman, she says, Marlon's a bit worried. I mean, it's an interesting idea. But, I mean, obviously the young actor in Gilbert Grape, you know, he had this... He thought... Yes. And I said, no, no, that's acting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, acting. But, I mean, in all seriousness, that's how brilliant Leo was in that movie. We know. I mean, the instinct to play someone who has mental, like it has a mental adjustment, you know, as a mental health issue, was phenomenal. And what happened was, I mean, like, I really want to do a Shakespeare. I want to do Romeo and Juliet because that's probably one. Why why did you want to do it? Because I wanted to answer the question, if Shakespeare were making a movie, having been a sort of mad Shakespearean nut and sort of studied it all my life, I wonder how you go about doing a movie. And, of course, you strip away all the generalisations and you go, well, he would do broad comedy in the beginning. He put pop music in his shows. Yeah. You know about that. Well,
2: I just, your, that soundtrack was so yeah. important to me at like the age of 12, 13. It was, you know, introduced me to garbage. and and radio younger
3: generation would think that that's what you're saying about the album no 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 no, the
2: the band the very important band Scottish band Um, but no it was such an amazing soundtrack
1: so before you did Elvis were you a massive Elvis fan
3: it's different and it's like when I was a kid there were these definitely fanny moments I love uh, red wine for breakfast.
1: <laughs> I know. We well, are naughty, they t- aren't we? Me, this is lovely. I love I know, this let me, wine. Let me check
3: what we're doing. They, they told me something silly like we're going to actually have lunch, but given it's breakfast time... You are. No, we you, are going to have I so love much. the way you roll. <laughs> um, let me check. It's a bit
1: um, early, isn't it? Yeah.
3: That is a cracker wine. It is gorgeous, is isn't it's it? <laughs> Should we plug it?
2: <laughs> no, we have plugged it because mum only gives it to the top ones. <laughs> Joanna Lumley said, darling, it's fortified wine. It's that strong. <laughs> 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 um, so, yeah. Darling, that
3: is a it great is wine. Nice, yeah. Well, you, you, um, you must know Lenny, your wine. Like here goes. Like I, I do. I've actually tried to give them up. I mean, only because I have a, um, an app called Get Drunk Not Fat. And uh, it turns out red wine is actually kind of really calorific. No
1: it is it um, is
3: it is I, know. So but you're, I, uh, you're, I used to drink it like in the size of a, of a goldfish bowl but it's but, i do know but but
1: if you don't mind me saying you're incredibly svelte you look great well
3: it's genetic actually is it yeah my mum is like 80 and she can lift a truck i mean she can lift like a truck. if she pins you up against the wall you're probably not going to leave the house right
1: she's strong and she she was a dancer she's a, a ballroom da- dancer and you know everything. I know, but so I haven't... That's love. why you got your security outside yeah, You yeah. But you also did ballroom dancing when you were younger. I was a,
3: okay, so let me connect that to Elvis. So I grew up in a very, very tiny country town, a very small town, a few houses. I think, I think there were five in my mind, but there might have been 11, but I think there were two, 2 were unfilled, And it was on a sort of highway. We had a gas station and a farm. But Dad and Mum... Dad, particularly, had come back from the Vietnam War. He was obsessed that we should be educated. So we had people live with us, like a painter and boring dancing and commando training. And it was a How relentless. Fabulous. It was relentless. Like, five in the morning, we'd be up. And if we weren't, like... Well, I had my own shop. My brothers had their own shops. I At what age was this? Five. I mean, <laughs> you know, like, really old. Like, I could barely hold it together. We all had to... Uh, my older brother uh, grew and sold plants, his younger brother, birds, hunting, the whole nine yards, horse riding, all that. The Sounds th-
2: kind of like a kibbutz, but like... It- kind of.
3: It was very active. Like, we were just crazy active. And Dad, Sounds
1: like Club Med. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, I think Dad, to be honest with you, he drank very heavily coming out of the Vietnam War, and then he gave it up. And I think he just threw himself completely into his kids. And as a result, we were non-stop active, which probably explains something, but the Elvis bit... So ballroom dancing, he, I find a flyer, I end up going to a ballroom dancing lesson, he tricks the other brothers into doing ballroom dancing, and we had incredibly short hair, which in the 70s was like, you may as well have smelt not very well. Like I mean, it was like, you got beaten on a regular basis, it was a bad thing.
1: Why did you have your hair so short?
3: Because he was, he, he was so anti-hippies, you know, he was anti oh. the new world. He'd fought in Vietnam and he thought we should present ourselves neatly, Anyway, Born Dancing, you got to dress up in a tuxedo, you travelled in buses, you competed. But I have a distinct memory of Burning Love from Elvis Presley comes out. And I go like, we're going to win this. Do you know that
1: song? How's it going? Hunker,
3: hunker, burning love. Okay. Hunker, hunker, in love. Do you put music on the show?
1: Yeah. No, we well, don't need it say, when
2: we've got well, dulcet sing. tones of you lot. All right. Well, yeah, we will yeah. sing later. Yeah. Yeah. When you've had if that you glass, feel my glass my of
3: rising. Rising. yeah, you can do a good. Car. No, yeah.
2: Well, I, I don't know this one. No, Lord,
1: I feel my temperature rise. You can both look at me. I still don't fucking <laughs> <completely> know it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you won
3: this coach. So I go up to the DJ and I say, "Can you play that Elvis song?" He just dropped the track. Yeah, because uh, that really gets us going. So, so we won that one. Then. Do you then,
2: think Elvis helped you win it?
3: No question about it. That song nailed it for us. What star
2: were you dancing for that,
3: that song? That was a jive. We would a jive to
1: yeah, that. Yeah, it's oh, such goodness.
3: a good jive. It's a great jive.
1: Okay.
3: Yes. Too mad it's not visual, I'd show you. But, um, <laughs> but so Elvis was, let me answer it, Lenny. Elvis was there in my life and I really dug him. But you're
1: much younger than me.
3: Yeah, but by teenage, what happens is, I mean we also, I'm also watching old films because we we ran the local cinema for a while and the black and white television we only got old movies so i think i would skip the generation
1: so, so when i was about 12 13 i'm not much younger than
3: you you Stop are saying that you are
1: no. um when i was I'm very about old. 12 you're not Don't old when i was about 12 or 13 mm-hmm. a new elvis film would come out and we would queue yeah right round the cinema Just to get in, and we go to as early as we could, the first showing that we could possibly go to. Well, you're right because we loved him so much.
3: So what year is that? And you want to give the year or not? Yeah, no, no.
1: Everyone
3: knows. Probably 1963. Okay, well, I'm. You're right about. You know why? Because we used to run Elvis matinees. You see, it was such a tiny theatre in those days. You didn't have show prints, so we used to get like uh, they'd send you old stuff, and we would have an Elvis matinee. In he our was theater. a
1: matinee idol, wasn't he? That's because what happened in exactly, the Exactly, it was all young Colonel, people that loved him. Right,
3: well, what happens is, he, he, no black music, no Elvis. and In the film, as you see, mm. he grows up in one of these white houses in the black community. But I didn't absol- know that I, that's at all. all. Sh- that was told to me by an 80-year-old man who I found who passed last year. The little boy in the scene in the tent who goes to grab yeah. him, yeah. and the preacher's saying, leave him be, he's with the spirit. I have him, this older man on video, who rarely speaks about it. i said, everything in that section is absolutely verbatim, I just did it. So, but the colonel is like, we've got to keep him away. The black music is associated now, what he's doing is associated with teenage, with, with delinquency, which was a huge issue yeah. in the 50s. So they send him to the army, cut his head, it's un, not unlike what happens to like BTS, you know, all the Korean kids. At the height of their career, they're sent away, shaved, and bring him back as a family entertainer. And okay. they're the movies. Now, I'm not saying we didn't love the movies, but that was a different Elvis.
1: He wasn't really an actor. You see, he was just so handsome and so beautiful. And he, it wasn't his acting. He was just Correct. idol. Charismatic. He was just someone that you just wanted to look
3: at. But, do you know, but the bit I couldn't get in there was that he did two films before the army and one directed by the same director who directed Casablanca. And it's the one he sings Crawfish in and Kid Creole, check it out. Yeah. He's really good in it. And serious directors went like he's really good. He could be a serious actor. And what happens is that's Elvis's one wish in his life is to do a serious role, like Frank Sinatra did, right? And the colonel realizes that can't make money doing that. Like, gotta have the songs. So terrible. And so the colonel conspires to make sure that he just goes like, mm, people don't want to see you in a movie where you don't sing.
2: Did you have to get the family's blessing to do the film?
3: Um, actually, I met with them. I didn't. The estate is actually controlled by a f- another family and called Authentic Brands. They're a Canadian family.
2: Why do they have the control?
3: Of well, well, at a certain point, I think Lisa just didn't want to, the My, burden of yeah, it. Yeah, okay. And it's a big management, you yeah. know, his likeness. And also also exploiting it, you know, mm-hmm. like how do you... And I said to Warners at some point years and years and years ago, see, I didn't do it out of fandom though, Lenny. I, I did like Elvis, but then I suddenly became a crazy Bowie fan or at 15 and all that. And I did it because like, someone like Shakespeare takes a famous person's life and they explore big ideas. Like Amadeus... You know that film. Yeah. Is it about Mozart? It's really about jealousy. Yes. You know? Yeah. And, you're it's right. so, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to use Elvis to really explore America, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Also, this idea of management or the seller.
1: It's an abusive relationship. That's right. Yeah. I, that's
3: what fascinated me. It that's was what fascinated
1: horrendous. Me. But I don't think I realized the extent of it. It's,
3: I, I think I went pretty light on it, actually.
1: Do, really? Well,
3: the thing about those characters are, despots, they're both incredibly human. Like, as Priscilla would say, there were two sides to the colonel. He could be the most touching, warm, human, loving person and and then absolutely a scorpion stealing from you, you know. Coming back to, to what you're saying about the estate, I didn't. But I reached out early on and I met Lisa Marie and wonderful Riley, young actor, Granddaughter, what a fantastic person. And then Priscilla. But then I, because of COVID, we became, with Priscilla, became somewhat instra- estranged. I couldn't get to her. There was no, like, I had to check the script or anything like that. There was no, there was just a kind of like, we're really happy you're doing it. Please, please, can you deal with some of these things that are just not true? And I had Nelson George, a black music academic and dear friend of mine, go out and I said, look, go and prove that they are true. You know, that, things that Chuck D said and all that, they just simply aren't true. That isn't the man. I mean, I'm happy I would have said it. It isn't the man. Uh, Priscilla started to say, look, I'm really worried about what Baz is going to do with our lives. How can this skinny kid, Austin, play Elvis? And I understand it. I can't underline enough how much I empathise with how Priscilla would have felt when I was out there in Australia for years making this movie. So I thought at some stage i have to show her a rough cut. I've done screenings where I've thrown up, you know, just out of nerves going, what am I doing? Like, strictly ballroom first cut. Um, I'm on a plane and the plane's late. And I ring, it's been screened for her, the rough cut. And saying, oh. they say, oh, the security guard's crying. It's a female security. I was a woman crying. I said, oh, God, she's walked out and hates it. I said, why? She said, well, because Priscilla's crying. I said, well, where is she? she said, she's still in there. Oh, great. So I land. I get the most beautiful letter. I mean, this is the beginning of a really wonderful journey and relationship with the whole family. And it says so many things I can't go into a bed. She says every eye movement, every twitch breath. If my husband was here, he'd say to her, that young man, Austin Butler, hot damn you are me, I didn't think oh. it was possible yeah. can
1: can I just talk a little bit about austin butler just, right Be- besides yeah. him being so extraordinarily beautiful that you he's captivating inside,
3: inside as well
1: exactly like Elvis was yeah. that kind of Elvis was so beautiful, yeah, and he is so beautiful, and he gets him. You think you're watching Elvis. Yeah. In fact, there's yeah. some bits when I think you put real film in and I'm not sure who's who.
3: I did a little bit of meta stuff. There's little bits. Right in the beginning, no one's ever brought it up, but right in the beginning, in the overture, you see Austin doing in a blue suit karate and next to him, he shares the screen with Elvis and they're both doing the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh, wow. And no one goes, oh, one's Elvis and one's Austin. No. They think it's just two shots, but it's actually Austin and Elvis. And I did the meta thing to sort of go like, well, if you can tell, is it – like they're not exactly the same, but but the acting is the same, like the character. And the truth is, is that, does it doesn't matter because what Austin is doing is not – it's the most impersonated man on the planet. He's not impersonating. No. He's interpreting. Yeah. That's yes. a different thing. He's taking the spirit of Elvis. Yeah. And that's way different – that's acting from impersonating. Impersonating yeah. is like someone holding up a sign and going, hmm. That's a nine. Yeah. Yes, you uh, yeah. almost. Oh, I think that's a seven. So like Elvis, not like Elvis, to become. I mean, we had the pandemic. Austin Butler. So
1: you started doing it before the pandemic.
3: I was the, the date you- the day before shooting. Brace yourself, with this. I'm rehearsing the scene where Tom Hanks guides Elvis through a crowd, and the girls are all kissing him. You know that yep, scene. Yeah. We're rehearsing it. We're going to shoot the next day. Day one of shooting. Am I on mic? Day one of shooting.
2: Oh, my God. That's when Hank's got COVID. Damn it.
3: You ruined my punchline. Yeah. You screwed my punchline. Oh, Rita Oh, my and... God. oh sorry,
2: Basco. Uh, sorry, you do it and we like, can Like, if edit. this
3: was movies, we'd have a second take. <laughs> <laughs>
1: do a second and take. And
3: AD comes up and he says, ah, I think Tom's got that flu. Oh, fuck. Because no one had heard of it.
1: But his wife had it as well. Yeah,
3: like she? Rita had been down to a show in Sydney. Tom was over there. The next thing, bang. Hazmat suits. We're locked down in an estate. So over. it was
2: Rita. Rita fucked up going to the no, show. No, I'm joking.
3: No, I mean, you know. We love Rita. We love Rita's Rita. Rita was great, but oh, can yeah. I do something? I think it's just, it, we just nobody knew what was going on. Like, oh. I mean, it was everywhere, but we didn't know. And all of a sudden, the world, I remember.
1: Were you shooting in Australia?
3: Yeah, and I, we were oh. locked down in an estate. We had this sort of big, big chunk of land locked down. I remember seeing on CNN that night, Tom Hanks has COVID, and the world admitted and went like, this is serious, mum. Yeah. Mom. Mm. Let's if he can get it, yeah. we can all get it. And then the film went away, and we were locked down for six months. Austin Butler was meant to go home. Now he was practicing Elvis 24-7, seven days a week. So much so that I'd never heard Austin speak in his own voice, even when he came into audition, until about four months ago.
2: We still got the twang of Elvis. I still it's, it it's going. It's going. Okay. It's going.
3: He's had to. It took him so long. It's so hard. He's not pretending no. like he can't... Once you've adjusted your vocal cords like that. Yeah. So um, he should have gone home. And even though the film was falling over and I couldn't hold it together, I said, I don't know. Tom not, Tom's thinking maybe to come back in February when this is all over. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and then when we realised it wasn't, he said, I'm not leaving. And he doubled down on his rehearsing. He doubled down on the Kung Fu. He doubled down on the voice. He just... Like, even though the film had gone around, he was like, you know, he was just working, working, working. He refused, because that's, see, Leonie, that's the point. He didn't do an impersonation, he became, became the spirit. Him. He became him. And, and that is why it's taken so long for him to deconstruct. It's like a hermit crab, he needs to find a new shell to inhabit. He's, in, he's going to be in Dune right now, he's in Budapest, shooting Dune, I believe, with no hair on his body. I mean, I don't know,
0: (laughs) on his head, on his face. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? you
2: So, Baz, we need to know about this family dynamic. It sounds absolutely brilliant and mad, your kind of upbringing and, mm. and wonderful and rich. Yes,
3: we were the Renaissance players of Heron's Creek. So, yeah. Herons how, did,
2: Creek. How, how did food play a part in that?
3: Well, it's interesting. I, I got food stories there because... Um, innovative. I mean, Pops was... I now look back, and if I ever did a coming-of-age story, I mean, mum was kind of very theatrical, and she's still around, and dad died, actually, on the first day of shooting Montrouge of skin cancer, so we're a sunscreen. Um, But um, um, he was was inventive. So we had this snack bar, I mean, snack bar and restaurant, right? And I used to serve in it, and we had this thing called sizzle plates, and they were like these... Iron things that you put on a fire and you put your steak on. And Dad was always inventing wackadoo. Like, there was, like, Lenny's Tropical Bow Wows, which meant basically a hot dog, I think, with a pineapple. Or there was Chops Aloha, right? But he made up, like, meals. And we became so successful as a sort of roadside cafe.
1: How many of you are there?
3: There was, like, mm, there was Dad, Mum... There's dad, mum, my, my older brother, my younger brother, my younger sister, but we always, that's why I'm surrounded by people. We had what we called the girls, they were our staff. We had Harry Quinnell, which is an older man that lived with us, who was a war veteran, and he just lived with us. And we had a younger guy that lived with us. And he was like, just, there was always a lot of people living with us. And then some distant cousin who was a drawer or a painter would come and live. It was very populated. And, and the food was And good.
1: whereabouts was it, exactly?
3: So it'll be about, from Sydney travelling north, I think it might have been, it was a full day's drive, so whatever that is, oh, seven, eight, eight so hours. it was really in the boondocks. Oh, it was totally, yeah. it wasn't desert, it was in the middle of incredible trees. It was a logging area on a creek, but we were so isolated that it took two hours to get to school on a bus. We used to hitchhike the first bit, and... The first hour, no one else was on the bus but us. Crikey. So it was two hours, so it was a long way away from anything. That's going to the the town called Port Macquarie, which was on the on the beach. When we were in junior school, I went to a Catholic school, which had three rooms in it.
1: Oh, it was tiny.
3: Like tiny, like there were three... Are you nine-
1: Catholic?
3: Well, I would say lapsed.
1: Lapsed, okay.
3: I mean, looking at the way I live, I, I'd say I wasn't staying... I don't. I'm not really swimming between the flags. Yeah.
1: So, so you have this cafe. So there's. It was a cafe,
3: gas station, farm. I had my. I had my aquarium shop. We had a pig farm. We had a horse breeding. We had mechanics. We had a restaurant. And this
2: was all encouraged by your father and your mother, and just. Was, like- yeah,
3: uh, Dad was really. It was driven. He'd invent. So he, I think it was a. You know what a caravansia is? Caravansia no. is like in the desert when trains, camel trains, are crossing through the desert, it isn't just a hotel. It's like an island that has a wall around it to protect it, and it has everything in it. It's like a little citadel... And in a way, it was a caravansia because we also, I mean, I didn't even mention that we were breeding horses and that we grew corn, we had corn growing competitions. It was, oh
1: my God. when I think
3: back on it, it was kind of bonkers. It
1: Sounds amazing. It was fabulous. But being a teenager must have been tough. If it's yes. two hour, an hour to well, get no, to the nearest friend. No,
3: because it was, but ballroom dancing, the reason dad would drive is the two hours to get to ballroom dancing was you got to dance with girls. And,
1: and that's how you met people
3: there was a whole lot of shenanigans going ah. on the back of the box. we did
1: that. <laughs> Jessie, I did ballroom dancing. Did you? Yeah, when I was... No. What was, was your uh, strong point? We... we well, I wasn't very good at any of it. What was your favourite dance? The waltz. I mean... I, my really? mom, yeah,
2: I would not have
1: picked. Wait, wait, modern, 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 modern
3: or it
2: was Viennese? Mod,
1: it was... No, modern. But the my mum sent me, because of bar mitzvahs, you had to dance ballroom dancing at bar mitzvahs. Oh, so, so my mum sent me off. Right. So I could learn you're how right, to do right. it. And dance at weddings or bar mitzvahs, yeah. because that's what everyone yeah. danced. People didn't just dance. They no, no, you're all right. And by the way, that's right. And
3: there was a bit of that in our world, because, see... Self-expression had just come in, and that was part of the alternate inhibitum. But before that, every school kid had to be able to actually partner dance. It was just part of the course.
1: You've you've led to Strictly Come Dancing, Dancing with Stars. I think Strictly Ballroom was the beginning of it. It I hope you've got money coming back from all these franchises.
3: I haven't, but I'll tell you something. They wanted to do Strictly Ballroom at the BBC, yeah, I was busy doing other stuff. They couldn't do it, so they came up with Strictly, Strictly Come Down Dancing, Down. based on Strictly Ballroom. And once the American one, which is it's Dancing with Dancing Stars, with students, yeah. I once went on there as a judge because you know that English judge that's on there, go okay, Len, Lenny, yeah, yeah, Uncle Lenny. He couldn't make it, so I was doing the Blu-ray, and I went. I agreed to go on, and you know what? I was terrible because At judging. Well, yeah, because I you're spent, not mean. Yeah, I spent my whole life lifting artists up. Mm. I mean, I, I if I have a a negative, I don't have negative views about artists. I just go like, how can we
1: make that, better. make
3: that better? And you're not going to be a very good television person judge if you go like, you know what, um, there was a cage fighting guy on, Little, a very famous guy, and he really threw himself at it. It was kind of weird dancing, but he really threw himself at
1: it. And i went like,
3: yeah. and I were like you know what, that was kind of awesome. It, like, your commitment... You're a good
1: to... person,
3: Bad. No, I, I don't know if I'm a yeah, good person. You see person, the good in people. I see the good in artists, you know. Yeah. Were
2: you good at dancing? I mean, were oh, you... Yes. Like, so... I had won a few trophies, okay. yes. I was pretty... Cool. What's about?
1: your favourite catchphrase, Jesse? You gatless wonder.
3: Yeah, gatless wonder. No. Or what about, what about, um... There are no new steps, steps. Barry Five. Oh. Or, but all oh, that man. stuff
2: with, like, lovers oh. in the air, with the... D- I mean, it was oh, so... We
3: loved it. It was, it, it was it. just
2: amazing.
3: Well, you know what... The underlying ethos of that, its cute as it is, is—and was actually studying Greek myth at drama school when I devised it with a bunch of other young actors. And it's really about overcoming oppression. And believe it or not, I actually did a version of it. We went to Czechoslovakia during uh, Glasnost. And there used to be moments, Brechtian moments, when we'd turn to the audience and say... F the Federation. And we won, unbelievable, unbelievably, we won the competition, the drama competition. But it's really about, I think I refuse to be told that there's only one way to cha-cha-cha. Like, when people tell you there's a rule book about making a movie, and they'll give you ticks and crosses. I, I don't try and be, obst- obstre- is it obstreperous? I don't try and not follow the rules I've just always been only able to do things or tell stories the way in in the way I can.
1: Is food important to you when you're making a film? Do you like good catering on your films?
3: It does not keep mean... the
1: army. Does the army march on its stomach?
3: Okay. The answer is absolutely yes. I'm obsessed with the food for the crew and everybody else being great. Me. I just have the most ordinary food because I'm so tense in my stomach, I can only eat really simple food, so it'll be like the same thing every day. But I learned really early on, I was actually shooting, I was an editor for Vogue very early on. I did a special issue. And it's when I met Nicole, actually. Nicole Kidman. Yeah, and we went out to LA to shoot it and I was working with this amazing photographer called Rocky Schenk. And there was just me and CM and two other people and we had no crew or nothing. But there was about four people out there and we didn't realise it was the Jewish holiday. Yeah. So we couldn't get food. We didn't know how to do that. Yeah. So we didn't have very good food. And they were very upset. And from that day on I realised, whatever you do, whatever cuts you make, we feed people brilliantly on our movies. Because it doesn't matter what they're being paid or what their job is. Making films is such, has such an unusual emotional stress that when everyone sits down to a good meal... They feel cared for. Do you
1: do you have a particular cuisine that you like, or do you have? Yeah,
3: I'm I'm crazy. I mean, I'm not someone who goes. Gee, I can't wait to have ribs tonight. I don't eat red meat much, but I love Japanese cooking. I love uh, Asian food in general, Asian Pacific food and seafood. Um, I mean,
1: Bass,
2: even
3: I'm salmon would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> so that's I've got a salad
2: dressing that's on the side, so I didn't know whether you'd have it. <laughs> it's like in Asia. It's like lime and peanut. Butter, but I didn't know whether you'd have I'd go there, I'd go there. Okay, amazing. Yeah.
3: Okay. You know, the Dalai Lama once said, if they serve meat, I'll eat it. No, no. Oh, wow. Hang on. You, This is not visual. No, <laughs>
1: it's...
3: Wow, let me... Sauce. No, I'm going to have it. Okay, I just think it's peanuts amazing looking.
1: And lime and I think also... It looks too. like a coffee.
3: Do I just put a... it... A... I think it looks amazing. I bet it's going to be great. I'm going to put a little bit on. Amazing.
2: We ask everybody, it feels kind of a bit of a silly question now that I've got mm. you here and you're kind of so wonderful and you're... There's
3: nothing silly.
2: Okay, well, I
3: do silly for a living. Okay,
2: it's your last supper. Uh, um,
3: hang on, wait. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i got a silly question. You're about to die. Mm-mm. What would you do? No, that you're not, not about not, to die. Th- I'm no, not you don't have silly. to be, you I'm, could I'm, be
2: going to a desert drama. island. You're not going to get the grub that, you know, you like yeah. there. I'm sure you'd make it work for yourself, but... Yeah,
3: coconuts. Mm,
2: but last supper... What would you have with your family? What's kind of a starter, a main, a pud and drink oh. of choice?
3: There's so much to unpack in that. Like, I couldn't even begin to think about the food if it's really my last supper and my family's there. I mean... You're I... being too literal. Okay.
2: <laughs> it's not a sad
3: occasion. Well, well can you, like... You, you have to reset the scene, Well, You're right. being a
2: director, I, I, and I appreciate I mean, this. This I is mean, a direct... Happy go, l-
3: have a, happy go, lucky holiday. You're on not, you're not on
2: death row. You're not gonna die. You're just not gonna get your favorite bits of food.
3: Mm.
2: But I do like that Baslam is the only person that went, yeah, but how could you even ask me well, that question?
3: Let's say we there's this like exclusive resorty island, and you get, you know, people that want to get away from it all and want a bit of privacy go there, you won't believe it. The supply ships di- didn't like sink.
1: Yeah, that's right. Okay, on fine. There, okay, what okay, are we so, do? I'm here yeah, with right. my family. Right, CM, my wife,
3: hype. like CM is such a genius cook. Like is she? I've been on a we were on a houseboat as kids once and it was floating out to sea and and <clears throat> I was like, oh my god, I've got no food. She went down, she found a can of beans and maybe, I don't know, a piece of bread or something. And that's that's messianic. You know, suddenly there was a banquet. Um
2: So what does CM make that you
3: Adore. Um, well. Because
2: I don't feel like I'm going to get the last supper question. No.
3: So,
2: so what is your favourite thing that your wife makes?
3: Well, look, she does, she does, I mean, I'm not a big eater. I'm not a big eater. But what she does do, great, is she'll, this is so boring, but she'll just like, like egg whites and salmon like we got now, chopped up, and she'll put like spices in it, tomato. A little bit of mushroom. I've got sriracha for you. I know you
2: love like sriracha. sriracha. Do you want a little sriracha? Yes, nut? I
3: do. I love sriracha. But your, by the way, your peanut this is sauce is amazing. I don't want to ruin that. But I'm a spice nut. By the way, I've been in China in Sichuan, and I've out, I've outspiced my Chinese guests. I've outspiced them. That's how much I love spice. How are your taste buds shot? Like, shot. I mean, I don't know if they're shot or they've just got a thing for spice.
1: Buds, do you always make your films in Australia?
3: I don't do it on purpose. Well, I do, partly. I love our crews. I love our team. Great filmmaking environment. I mean, every frame of Elvis was shot in Queensland. Mm. Every frame. But I think we just find that the consistency of the teaming and all that. But I've shot Romeo and Juliet in Mexico but it's the only film I've made outside Australia and it ends up being what you get on the screen given my films want everything drama, music, costumes action like they have everything in them some would say too much everything and, and I get no. that but that everything doesn't come cheaply and I work at kind of large scales which I don't try you know, to I always think oh well that'll it's be it's
1: only coming of that yeah <laughs>
3: Hey, I think the guest on the previous shows crushed the sriracha bottle.
1: <laughs> um, sorry, Baz, it. it's like
3: the the dregs of uh, sriracha if you want it. I think you'd be better like
2: that. I, I want to know: is your family setup kind of similar to you know what you had in your upbringing with all these different creative outlets? Yes, out- yes.
3: I, I would say. Are
2: your children? You know, is it like? Have you got the bakery outside? Are they selling? Um, Terrainy, I don't know. What are they?
3: I think we think we're terribly normal, but there's no question <laughs> that. Um, I can't imagine that. That's a nice lead in, isn't it? <laughs> there's no question that CM and I, from the day one, um, we knew we built a family and we built our way, and it's our way, and our kids even. Like, if I started to tell you in the last three days, like I had a big birthday given for me by a dear friend in New York. Sixty, right? It's it, your.
2: It's your. It's been your birthday.
3: Yeah, like three days ago. Oh,
2: happy birthday! So sorry, we would have made you a. Hang cake. on,
3: you said. Hang on. They said there was going to be a. Cake. No, <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm leaving. Um, no, I did. It was a big party given by a dear friend in New York, and um, there was that. And the kids flew out from Australia. They were New Yorkers, and then they've fallen in love with Queensland and. You know, like one's 18, one's 17. And we, but we are surrounded. We're never alone. The house is always full of creatives and friends and ongoing. And so that, uh, you might call it a sort of. uh, We call it growing old disgracefully, but (laughs) it's a kind of boho army, really. It's a boho army circus run like an army.
1: So your main home's in Australia?
3: Actually, we have our main house in New York City. Okay. We have up to recently, Um, but it's kind of like the kids are growing up. It's a bit too big, given we're not there all the time. So we're in Australia a lot. New York. And Sam has a lot of French family. She's half French. So we kind of get around. Yeah, we get around. Do you like ar- Europe? I love the Med. We love Paris. We absolutely adore Paris. We, we always sort of say, oh, Paris is where you are. I mean, the civility of Paris. And I love the Med. I mean, there's a few things in the world that never let you down. And running around the Med on a boat will never let you down. You know? It doesn't matter what size the boat <laughs> it can be like a dinghy or a rowboat.
2: I'm going to be in New York on Saturday. Is there right. a particular restaurant that you would be sure. like, Jesse, y- you've you got to go. I've
3: got 2 got two for you. Okay. There are two restaurants, two different friends.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: One's called Dante's, and he's Aussie, right, Linden. And he just won, actually, bar. I think he won Bar of the Year, World Bar of the Year. He's got two different restaurants. And there's another friend of mine, Ben. And he has a place called, called so there's Dante's and Maison Premiere. That's in Brooklyn. So if you want one in Brooklyn, okay. Maison Premier. Great. I couldn't recommend it highly enough. Can
2: I just say Baz sent me?
3: Yeah. Say ben, let me go to Ben and say Baz sent me. Okay, fine. Ben Crispin. And then, and then Lyndon, who's an Aussie who moved into our street, took over this legendary but very old place that Bob Dylan used to hang out at. And now he's got two of them, and food and beverage – if you're on the island, it's a go-to. Now, there are a lot of others like Lucian's and things like that. Okay. I've got other friends, other classic places. But <clears throat> both, both these places will, will also, they're both brilliant, brilliant cocktail people. And they can both tell you incredible. Their cocktails are not just, and it, you know, some people just make up cocktails and you go like, oh, you're just mm. putting sugar on sugar and you really don't know what you're doing. They're, they're absolute high-end artists when it comes to the cocktail and the food.
2: <laughs> What's your cocktail of
3: choice? I judge all bars by their martini. How martini, do you have yours? Well, I'm really classic. I gin go vodka? Gin. Okay. I go for a classic dry martini because actually it's extremely hard to get that right. It's a bit like bread at a restaurant. When I used mm. to eat bread, if you go to a restaurant, you judge it a bit by the bread. Yeah. You
1: judge a country by their bread. I think they? so. If you had to sing karaoke, would you choose an Elvis song?
3: Everyone thinks I'm going to be the world's best person at karaoke and charades. And? I'm the worst karaoke person and charade person of all time. Why? Because I've got great pitch, but I think I feel... The, I, you, well, you are a performer. You sing. Right. Yes. And I think I'm probably my function in life is to help people be better. And when I get up and do a karaoke song, all I'm thinking is, gee, I could be better. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I mean.
1: Okay. What's your song?
3: Um, you don't have to sing it now. No. I. Here's my rule about karaoke. Don't try and pick your favorite song. <clears throat> Don't even pick a crowd pleaser, pick something that you can sing. Like I have a friend, we call him the karaoke king, and he sings I'm just a Jigolo" and everywhere I go. I don't know. I'm a just somebody. a jigolo. Yeah. He just knows that it's so easy to sing, and he can pull it off, and people sing along. So it's okay. good to do a sing-along. So what are you going to sing? Me?
1: Yeah.
3: Um, I, I, think I'd, I think I could sing your song because i'll tell you why elton because elton who is a dear friend and without elton there would be no moulin rouge and i didn't know him at the time and i rang him and nobody wanted no publisher wanted us to do what we were doing with all the music and i wrote to him and i flew all the way from australia and i got a temperature of 110 or something and i was sick and i rang him and i said look Elton, I'm so sorry, I'm sick and you've got to go on concert and I can't come near you. Mm-hmm. You're to, he said, don't, don't worry about that, darling, come on over. <laughs> so I come on over and I showed him the video on told him. He said, you know what, this is such a great idea, I'm going to tell everyone to do it. And he led the charge to make Moulin Rouge happen and he became a great friend, him and David, and I admire them so much, the way that they've lived that life as artists and they've managed to weather so many storms, but I have a terrible problem that I cannot remember lyrics, right? But your song was so integral in the writing. Mm. It's the moment at which you either buy into the movie or you don't. Mm. And the lyrics by Bernie are so effortless. They seem to be lyrics that almost anyone would make up because that's what you would say. You know, it's a little bit funny, this feeling inside. You know, I'm not one of those who can easily hide, you know. Oh, I hope you don't mind if I put down the words. How wonderful life is now you're in the world. I can remember that because it just seems like what someone would say. You know?
2: Yeah, no, I do. No, I'm just thinking, I'm just trying to think about old Ewan McGregor on the old, was it, he was on the roof, wasn't he?
3: Yeah, well, they're in Inside the Elephant. And the gag is, we do it in a funny way. And remember, he's supposed to be like a genius poet. So when we were writing Moulin Rouge... Craig and I are going like, well, it's got to be a genius poet. And I was like, well, I was thinking about this. And I'm like, well, if you're doing a genius painter, and I got the world's best painter today to do a painting, and you shoot the painting, you it might be amazing, but some people might go like, well, I don't like it. If I, if I point the camera to Picasso, no matter whether you like Picasso or not, you know, the world has decided that man is a genius. Mm-hmm. So the conceit, the preposterous conceit came to me that, well, what if what came out of his mouth instead of poetry was the world's best pop music and that's where he's in the thing he's going like oh you know it's a bit long and here's my funny poem he goes it's a bit funny and it's feeling inside I've got not one of those and, you know, I hope you don't mind how wonderful life is and then he sings the mm-hmm. song and the idea is that everyone goes oh my god you're so gifted you know
2: Baz you've got to go you've got to go and um, I don't control and- my oh, life this
1: is dreadful <laughs> I feel like a little hamster on a treadmill. Oh, thank you. I'm exhausted for you. Oh, my God. <laughs> save me. Are you listening? Hamster <laughs> on they're a driving, treadmill. Where's they're driving, the cheese? They're driving you too hard. Oh, they, are, they are. are.
3: You don't know what it's like. Johnny,
1: you spend a lot of time on aeroplanes. Do you like plane food?
3: I would never eat on planes.
1: I bet you don't. I don't. Do you bring your own?
3: No. I think what I'd do is... I tell you, oh, i tell you what my favourite food is. Eat. I love protein and I do love caviar. I'm actually my family... I love you. It's so pretentious. <laughs> it's so pretentious. You, you know what my family <laughs> call me? The caviar hoover. Because if there's ever caviar around, I hoover it up.
1: God, Mum, should, you should have told us that. Yeah, you should have told us that when we would just had that. No, I, oh, by the way, by the,
3: can I tell you? Can I tell you? That meal that you've just served, and I'm not just saying it, is my idea of the perfect meal. I might eat salmon and salad and things like that. Like, that is, by the way, that's a delicious meal. That's and the stressing. dressing... Right. It's fab. I I'm a, I poured a bit in my pocket. It's a bit clammy, but I'm gonna have it. <laughs> later oh, on. No, but seriously, that was that's a fantastic meal. See that's me actually, lifting I'm me up. Lifting me up. I'm so telling you, I'm not saying it. Ask Ring person. CM. If you text CM said if you had to if Baz asked for or ask Angus, who's my long supporter, works with me, he'd say, What would Baz have if he's like he would say, Oh, you have salmon and salad?
2: Okay. Well thank God. Did, we I thought right. someone
3: told you. No. No.
2: Baz Luhrmann, your people are coming in and they're going to scoot you We've to the next to interview. We've got to photo. We've got to take a photo, but thank you so much for being Look, on. Look,
3: I do a lot of things. I don't get around, have delicious meals and drink fabulous wine and really hang around and feel like welcome in a family setting like this. This doesn't happen. That's why this is popular. You know why? Because it's real and it's wonderful. I think
1: there's a film. Wonderful. To be made. About oh, what popcorn. about Lenny?
2: <laughs> Who would play you, mum? <laughs> Me, darling! Oh, I,
3: I, I see, it should be simple. I see a couple of techno cranes, maybe a drone shot. Yeah. <laughs> zooming in <laughs> on the salmon.
1: Oh, you've made my day. Honestly. Thank you, uh, Isn't
3: it time for the confetti drop just to finish?
1: <laughs>
2: Absolutely loved that. He didn't finish his salad, but he did say that he thought it was lovely. And we're going to tuck into meringue, cream and berries. And I'm sat here with Tully and Alice and Mum. Who's very happy. I'm really happy. Mum, how good was that?
1: It's just the best, darling. But he was just such... A, he was such fun. Mum, your meringue is amazing. Is it?
2: Amazing.
1: He was fun. He was infectious. He... Do you know, whatever project he'd work on, he's so infectious. The enthusiasm and I think the spirit would be brilliant in his team.
2: I mean, he's an absolute legend. Just like charisma. He looked like he was in a Gucci campaign with the outfit that he was in. That kind of beautiful cord suit, polo neck, gorgeous, love him. Mum, why are
1: your meringues so brown? I don't know, probably because I had the oven on a bit too high. But
2: They're fantastic.
1: I know, I said for you to take them home because I don't want them.
2: So if you're interested in seeing the photos of the food or the guests, you can follow us on Instagram. It's Table Manners podcast, I think. Um, Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. Uh, The music you've heard on Table Manners is by Peter Duffy and Pete Fraser. Table Manners is produced by Alice Williams.